The score after two periods here at J. Tom Lawler Rink at Merrimack is Cornell 1, Merrimack nothing. I'm Mike Macknick with John Leahy. The second intermission tonight is brought to you by Merrimack Graduate Studies. At Merrimack, you can earn your master's degree in as little as one year. Choose from graduate programs in business, education, engineering, health sciences, criminology, and so much more. Visit merrimack.edu backslash graduate today for all the details. Mike McMahon joins us from the Mac Report and College Hockey News and uh, the Eagle Tribune as well. And uh, Mike's a pretty good action there. The, uh, the youth game between periods. I thought the, the first goal, the, the goal that was scored by the, the, the kid who scored that one, looked like he was going to make sure that he got his celebration in no matter what it took. And uh, he celebrated all the way up the ice. Got to get it out. You don't yeah. know when they're going to happen again. Right. Got to get it out. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> all right. So it's been a long time now since we talked to you. So a number of things have happened. Uh, first of all, let's talk about tonight's game here. Two periods, not much going on at all. Uh, the goal by Cornell, I think, is your typical. You know, you had the big story about all the, uh, you know, where the goals are scored from. What you have to do to score goals. And uh, the fact that down in, in Florida, Merrimack didn't do that job, didn't do the job they needed to in the first game against Colorado College, ended up paying for it, losing the game, did it the second night against Northern Michigan, won the game. In this game here tonight, I thought, first period, they got pucks in the net, got bodies in the net, just weren't able to, to punch one in. Second period, there was not much going on at all. Maybe the only time that we saw uh, either team able to get pucks and bodies in the net was on the goal scored by Cornell right after their power play expired. Yeah, that was the best chance in the second period for yeah. sure. But going back, it might have been the only good chance of the period for either team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to the first period, I, I agree. I thought they were, I actually commented to someone. You know, it feels weird that shots on goal were only seven to five. And then you look at attempts, and they were twenty to eight for Merrimack. I know that makes a lot more sense because they had the puck a lot, uh, but they were getting good chances too. I mean, Gilliam made a couple of nice saves, but they were getting pucks into that that home plate area that people talk about. Uh, I thought they generated good chances in the first period, and it's hard to do against this team because they're big and they're strong, and there's not a lot. I mean, you look at the size of these guys; there's not a lot of room to get to the net. But they did a good job of it in the first period. I mean, you think of the play that Ludwig Larson made. Uh, I, I think you got around a guy on the backhand, made a nice move. Uh, Timmy Tavernier had a, had a shot from inside the dot there. Uh, there. There was a couple of nice plays in the first where they were able to get pucks in deep, and you feel like if they do that long enough, at some point the goals are going to start to come. Uh, and they, I mean, there's no doubt about it; they desperately need goals to start coming. Here. Well, if they're able to kill off the final minute eight of the penalty against Gustafson, uh, they're going to have to do without him on that line, which has been one of their better lines tonight with Hennig and Irvine. What do they do there? Just double shift other guys? Yeah, I think they'll start double shifting some other guys. You know, they could they could work a guy back into center, like Brett Cini's played center in the past, so if you wanted to do that, you could sort of move him back into center and uh, it, it, it shorten up one of your wings, maybe, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I think the, most, the, the thing that they would mostly do, I think, is just keep the lines as is and, and start double shifting the center. Uh, what do you think about the call? You know, that's one of those calls where, where to me, that's not a major. You, you know, he's, he's trying to make a play on a guy that's up against the boards. But the way we see it called in Hockey East, I mean, to me, that's not a major. If it's up to me, if I'm making the rules, that's not a major. It's a penalty, but it's not a major. We'll get a look at it here. I mean, probably what it comes down to is that, you know, you're in that you're in that position where it could could get called. So it's yeah. ultimately still your fault. And, yeah, and he, and he lost positioning a little bit as he, as he went into the wall. But still, uh, in, in what we've seen it called, not only in Hockey East, but just around college hockey, that, that's what they've been calling majors. So, I mean, at the end of the day, no real issue with it. All right, let's see other news. Uh, you had a couple players departed. Uh, Matt Fogut, Ethan Spaxson, first time we've had a chance to talk to you since then. Your assessment of that and the impact on the team? You know, 
no offense to both guys, I don't think it's much of an impact. Just when you look at, at the overall production, right? I mean, one goal and three assists from each guy. Uh, Maybe ma- largely in depth. It's, it's definitely in depth. That's where the biggest impact is, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, uh, the, the, you can't afford to have too many more guys get hurt now. No, I mean, you've got one extra D and two extra forwards, and that's it. Uh, so, I, I mean, it's unfortunate, I think. I mean, obviously, you want to you want to see it work out for everybody, and it doesn't always happen that way. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where they end up and where they decide to go. Obviously, wish them the best. It didn't work out here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, depth is the biggest thing that it's going to affect this team, I think, moving forward. Because, like I said, if you get one D, you get two forwards. If you start to get a rash of injuries here, you can be in some trouble pretty quickly. Right. We already know where one of them, Matt Bogan, ended up with uh, the uh, Ontario League Major Junior. Um, haven't heard yet on Ethan Spack's interview. Uh, I haven't. So, you know, Spax was in a weird spot where he, he could go back to the USHL uh, if he wants to for the rest of this year and, and then transfer. He can't go to Major Junior. I, I think there's a rule in there where you can't. He's a 20-year-old, which is classified as an overager, and I don't think you could be an overager in your first year. I think that's a new rule. Um, but he could go back to the USHL or another junior league, amateur junior league in the U.S., and, and transfer to another school. But um, so far, from what I can tell, hasn't ended up anywhere yet. Yeah. I certainly wish the best. I mean, both of them, you know, I know, you know, good yeah, kids. Uh, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, a lot of potential, certainly younger players and everything. So, uh, you know, sad to see that happen, but it does happen. Yeah, it does. You know, it happens here. It happens in other places. I think at the end of the day, uh, both are pretty good players. I, I just don't know. Maybe stylistically it wasn't the best fit, maybe. Um, and, and both guys, I mean, look at just the, the, the record this year. I mean, both guys ran it out of the lineup. And, and whether or not that was for just a trouble adapting to the type of system here, you know, who knows. But uh, it, it happens elsewhere. It's happened here before. Uh, it's the first time, though, I think it's happened here in a while. Let me ask you, you had the, uh, the the coaches show this week, I think the first one back now after the break, and uh, you do it every Tuesday night on WMCK, with, and you also post it on the MacReport.com with, with uh, head coach Mark Dennehy, and I know he was talking about, he talked about it in our pregame as well, the fact that I think the, the, you know, the biggest thing that they have to realize is, uh, you know, he's been talking more and more lately about, about that it's about us and what they do, what they need to do, the things they need to do, and, uh, and, and the fact that uh, you know, they need to understand what kind of team they are, their identity, right? I think that th- we've seen this happen a couple times in the past where you kind of wonder, you know, they have aspects of different types of games, but what kind of a team really are they and what do they have to be and what do they have to understand and believe they are in order to be successful? What, what's your assessment of that? I mean, what is their identity? I, I've always thought they need to be a blue-collar team. I mean, you can try to be, you can try to outskill teams, uh, but I think you're going to end up like UMass was the last four years, and that resulted in them going through a coaching change. I mean, there's only, only so much you can do to try to match some of the teams, especially in this league, offense for offense, you're not going to do it. Uh, I think really the identity of this team needs to be uh, similar to the way Lowell plays, similar to the way Providence plays. It's a defense-first type team, I think. Uh, but hardworking, uh, really a blue-collar attitude. You know, you look back, I say this to people a lot, you look back at that 2011 team and everyone goes, oh, look at the skill. I mean, Stefan Costa, Chris Barton, Joe Cucci, Jesse Todd, and there was a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong, there was obviously a lot of skill on those teams. You didn't even but, mention the third line that you talked exactly, about before, yeah. of three guys who ended up uh, being among the leading scorers in the league. And, and, but what was that third line so good at? Getting pucks deep and just grinding teams out on the cycle. I mean, they were a hard-working team. That was really that was a blue-collar team. I mean, there was some skill there, uh, but that was a real blue-collar team, and, and they worked and earned their wins. And, and that's what I think they need to be. I mean, to be successful here at a place like this, you're not going to go uh, skill for skill in recruiting against BC or BU. You've got to find other ways to do it. Providence and Lowell the last few years have found ways to do it, and I think that, I think this team needs to have a, a similar identity to them. And really, with both of those teams, it starts 
with with hard work and, and being strong in the defensive zone. And to bring it around in this game, I think that you know this being the fourth time now they played Cornell in a year, uh, two times in Ithaca, two times here. This is, again the fourth out of the four times. I think that there's a lot they can learn from from that, you know, watching a team like this up close, having played against them, seeing what what they do to be successful and, and what they need to do. Because hey, let's face it, Cornell I think is you know they're a team that you know certainly they have more size than Merrimack does. And Merrimack a lot a lot of times you know you hear a lot of other coaches. It's interesting refer to them. You know when we asked them before the game, how do you assess them in, in the matchup? And they talk about well you know they're a big team. This, this, they're not as big as they used to be. Yeah. Certainly that's one thing. But the I other actually say they're a lot smaller. Yeah, yeah especially yeah, when you look at some right. of the forwards. Right. But then you look at Cornell and you say yes they're a big physical team. They have been for a while. They've also been quick. They've also had skill. And the, but the thing is that I would come back to what you said. Yes they do ultimately have to realize that, that even you know Cornell is a team that despite those things they got to get out there and outwork the other team. If they don't do it, they're not going to win games. And, and I think that they've been working hard tonight. You know, that's the kind of team I think Merrimack can look at them and say, that's a team that knows what their identity is and what they have to do. What are the first period? 20 shot attempts for Merrimack, 7 blocks for Cornell in the first period. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> you don't want to get out-possessed 20 to 8 in a period, but if you do and you block 7 of them, all of a sudden it's 13 to 8 on shots that actually get through. And when, not all those get to the net because some of them go wide and whatnot. But, yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. All right, Mike. So much more to talk about. I know we'll do it next weekend uh, in the uh, the final weekend of the, the final period of the weekend next week. So we'll do that. Good to see you. Happy New Year and uh, uh, safe ride home. We'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, absolutely. You too. All right, that's Mike McMahon from themacreport.com, also from the Eagle Tribune and College Hockey News. We'll be back with more right after this. The score at the end of two: Cornell one, Merrimack nothing. You're listening to Warrior Hockey.